You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Democracy is at stake, and we have to have alliances of people that strongly disagree on everything but that fact. Inflation's not going to be a problem. Inflation will moderate. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It would be insanity if the Democrats don't do something on Build Back Better. Pennsylvania, one of the closest states in the 2020 election, will be critical for deciding which party controls the Senate after 2022. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. How can you be data dependent if COVID keeps changing the data? Maybe that's the point. The results of Omicron turning up in the economy as we enter the month of February, and we'll talk about the impact on jobs and overall growth, along with the backdrop of inflation with Jared Bernstein, one of President Biden's top economic advisors, back with us today on Bloomberg. And on the same day, Senator Joe Manchin calls Build Back Better dead. We're going to connect the dots between the economy and the rest of the Biden agenda on Capitol Hill. We'll be joined by Michael Hardaway of the Hardaway Wire and the best political panel in the business. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us on the fastest hour in politics. The news on jobs today openings up unexpectedly in December. There are now 10.9 million open jobs. So-called quits fell slightly during that same time, according to the Labor Department's JOLT survey. Now, look, we already know there are some concerns about Friday's monthly jobs report. If you listen to Bloomberg, you heard us talk yesterday with Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, who told me the number will likely be distorted by COVID because of the timing, the survey against Omicron. The survey was done roughly around the week of January 12th. Uh, there were millions of people that were still uh, not not in work. A lot of them were out sick. Folks, some folks were out sick. Right. Uh, and if they were not eligible for, for paid leave, uh, they're going to be marked as not working when in fact they are. So is the report even worth reading? And what will the other indicators tell us about this economy in the opening month of the year? We talk about it now with Jared Bernstein, a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Jared, thank you for being back on Bloomberg it's good to have you here. Was January a lost month for jobs because of the virus? Well, we don't have a crystal ball. We ha have to wait and see the numbers. But Marty uh, informed, I think, listeners of an extremely important thing, which is that in the week that this survey was taken, this is the payroll survey, that's the top-line jobs number we all kind of go crazy at on Friday morning at 8.30, uh, that uh, during the week of January 12th, that was the height of the Omicron spike. And here's the key thing. If you're not on the payroll, meaning yeah. you're sick or you're absent and you're not getting paid, yes. so you're on some sort of unpaid leave, 
you're not going to be counted on the payroll for the payroll survey. And the fact is, as Marty was saying, um, virtually all of those folks likely still have their jobs. So when they go back in February, they'll be counted again. So should we be doing the survey somewhat differently then to to be able to reflect that? No, I don't think so. No? I think that's a fair fair question. I don't think so. It is a survey of payrolls. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is an anomalous uh, development having to do with – a, a, a pandemic of the type that we haven't seen for about a century. Um, it's very important to syst- uh, systematically uh, evaluate payrolls the way that the Bureau of Labor Statistics does it. Yeah. Now, you know that they also do a household survey uh, on the, uh, that they report on the very same day. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are uh, uh, home from work, um, even if you're on unpaid leave, you're going to tell the surveyor from the household survey yeah. uh, that you still have your job. So we'll look at that, too. So and like the month earlier, you could have a, a soft payrolls number but still have an historically low unemployment rate because of the methodology. Yes, and I think the, the thing that we're getting at here, which is probably even more important than one month, is that you really have to be mindful of the broader trend. We at the White House have tried to be very careful never to lean too hard into one month, even if we get mm-hmm. an upside surprise. Sure. In the background, we know that we've had in 2021 the fastest economic growth in nearly four decades, GDP up 5.7% over the year. We know that in the backdrop of this jobs report is the strongest job market on record by a variety of metrics, with a record that goes back to 1948. Six million jobs last year, fastest falling unemployment rate on record. So one month is not a new trend. Understood. If we see that kind of destruction, if if that ends up being the case, it plays out where there was you know destruction in the payroll number because of COVID. Some distortion, maybe is a better mm-hmm. word than destruction. Wouldn't it yep. then bounce right back the next month? Wouldn't we see pretty instantly if that was the case? To the extent that people who are counted as absent from work because yeah. they're unpaid are back at work in February, they will be back on payroll and they will be back counted in February. Got it. I don't have a crystal ball for January. I have even less of one for February. Of course. But, it, but that is the mechanics of how it works. Well, this is a heck of a time uh, to be in your business. How can you possibly do any modeling? And maybe you've got a couple of different uh, models that you're working on here when you guys get together and, and put the green visors on. When you're so data dependent, when there's so much uncertainty, whether it's inflation, whether it's job growth, this 10.9 million uh, uh, open jobs number is is a big one. How do you forecast and make policy when there's so much uncertainty, Jared? Yeah, great question. Well, the first thing you do is you really focus on the facts of the case and you downplay, especially high frequency, meaning these kinds of forecasts for weekly or monthly variables, yeah. just too much variation around them, too large a forecast area. We know, and you just said it yourself, that the amount of job openings is at an historic high. We know that the unemployment rate back down under 4%, about three years ahead of schedule, according to CBO's projections. Mm -hmm. We know that this is one of the tightest, most welcoming labor markets in our history. So those are the facts. When it comes to forecasting, stay away from the week-to-week and the month-to-month and look at the broader picture. And there you see the backdrop of an historically strong economy. 10.9 million open jobs. Participation has been an issue. We ask uh, the Labor Secretary and yourself about this just about every month. Is it a COVID story still? Are we concerned about child care? How do you get that participation number back up where you need it? You remember the old movie Murder on the Orient Express where it turned out I'm a spoiler alert here. uh, (laughs) It wasn't one perp. It was a bunch of different perps. Uh Uh, That's that's really what we're talking about here. Um, Concern about COVID, sure. 
But yes, child care, elder care, schooling issues, uh, it's one of the reasons why President Biden has consistently leaned in to the essential importance of an affordable, accessible child care sector of the type they have in so many other advanced economies that have higher participation rates, especially among caretakers, than we do. So improving the economy's capacity on the supply side yeah. by investing in child care is a really smart idea. Well, with that said... If, we, if you got Build Back Better passed with a paid leave component, mm-hmm. would this have happened in January? Or people would be on paid leave and counted as having a job? Correct. It's that simple. Uh, you know, look, there are lots of different important policies uh, under consideration right now. Mechanically speaking, yes, if you're, if you're paid, uh, if, if you're uh, sick uh, or absent from work and you're paid yeah. on the payroll, you're counted as being on the payroll. Just curious. Uh, the, the, exactly. The issue, period. The issue we're, we're, we're looking at on Friday is many people, because the payroll period uh, coincided with uh, the peak in the Omicron cases, is, is the problem that we've detailed. Unpaid leave, you're not counted as being on the payroll. Right. But what I was talking about a second ago was an affordable, accessible child care sector of the type that President Biden has been fighting for, yes, will continue to fight for, not just be, having nothing to do with, with uh, the fact that it's good politics and a lot of people really need this, because of how much it means for their family budget yep. and how much it means for our labor force supply. Well, let's go Key down that road. Let's go down mm-hmm. that road for a second with regard to the child tax credit. We were told going into this year that as it expired without Build Back Better, that eight to nine million children could be pushed below the poverty line. Is that happening now as we speak? And what's your plan to try to get the conversation going again for an expanded child credit, a tax credit on Capitol Hill? Ever since President Biden talked about the child tax credit, he's talked about it in terms of reaching families with kids, in terms of alleviating the pressures that anyone who's ever raised a child knows about, especially for families in the bottom half of the pay scale. And he has consistently touted uh, this impact on poverty. The fact that the child tax credit reduced child poverty by 40 percent last year. And therefore, this is not something that he intends to uh, you know, just let go by mm-hmm. the wayside. He's going to continue to fight for that. And, and you can hear him uh, talking about that anytime the subject comes up. Um, I'm not going to get into political negotiation on, sure. uh, on the economics team, not the political team. Understood. Uh, but finding a path for the child tax credit is essential for the well-being of low-income families. Well, of course, we also heard from, from you and others in the administration that Build Back Better would be one of the strongest ways to lower prices, that it was anti-inflationary as opposed to what Republicans were, were accusing you of spending too much money and fanning the flames of, in, of inflation. Now that mm-hmm. Build Back Better is somewhere, I don't know where, exactly on a shelf. What tools does the administration have, aside from deferring to the Federal Reserve to deal with inflation? Well, first of all, let me just say about Building Back Better, there remains very strong support uh, in the Senate among Democrats on uh, Medicare, on helping people pay for health care, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, lowering the cost of child care, lowering the cost of education. All of those are Build Back uh, Better elements for which there is strong support among uh, Democrats in the Senate. In terms of what we can do to help on inflation, this is such a critical question, and I want everyone who can hear my voice to hear this. Dispatch from the president to his economics team is to uh, work relentlessly doing everything we can to help unsnarl supply chains, which we know are a key part of the inflation problem. That involves our work at the ports, 24 and 7, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that the ports are active 24 and 7, getting goods from ship to shelf, 
That involves lowering container times, uh, dwell times that containers spend in the port. It involves our trucking agenda, again, to get the goods from the containers into the trucks. Right. We have extensive agendas on every one of those, working with the private sector to try to make that happen. How do you get we Build Back a- Better back on track when Joe Manchin says it's dead? I only have a minute. I'm just wondering if you see that still happening in this year. Let me just finish the prior thought. We have a competition agenda. We have an energy agenda. Every element of price pressures, we're trying to help do what we can from our side. In terms of getting building back better on track, all I can tell you is that there is strong support among senators for lowering the cost of prescription drugs, lowering the cost of health care, lowering the cost of child care, and that when you do that, you, don't, you, you ease the inflationary problem in two ways. One, by lowering the cost of family budget. Just got 30 and two, seconds. By incre- and two, by increasing labor supply. Understood. And the economy's productive capacity. We're going to have to do a documentary next time, Jared. I have like 10 more questions for you, and I know you're not done talking. This stuff is complicated, and the, the ground is shifting under our feet. Jared Bernstein, we thank you for being with us straight from the White House and the Biden economic agenda. We'll assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie on Bloomberg. Stay here. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And just when the White House thinks it's safe to build back better, the gentleman from West Virginia walks out of his office and faces a horde of reporters with microphone sticks and cameras to let them down again. It happened again today. Senator Joe Manchin generating the headlines right around lunchtime as we pick up the conversation we just had with Jared Bernstein from the White House. And we're going to assemble the panel here. Rick and Jeannie on their way in. First, listen to the senator from West Virginia talking specifically about Build Back Better. Number one, he issued a statement earlier. He said it was dead. BBB, he says. D-E-D. 
And of course, every reporter in the nation's capital had to follow up on it. Here's how it went. Can you just clarify your remarks on Build Back Better? You're open to looking at the There's no formal talks going on now, but the bill, as was before, has been would probably be structured differently if they do anything, but there's no formal talk. But you're still looking at it from scratch, right? That's the stance. Oh, we always start at scratch. So things have changed since then. Things have changed. To bring in the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, how much are we reading into Joe Manchin's uh, latest here, Jeannie? As you just heard Jared walk through what the White House is hoping for, this plan B on Build Back Better is starting to feel as elusive as the first plan, no? Yeah, it, you know, Joe Manchin uh, was, was very clear, as he has been throughout, and and that's the thing, is that he really hasn't wavered. He was willing to talk about Build Back Better up to a point, and today he reiterated what we've all known. It is dead for now. Mm. He left the door open a tiny crack, said if there's anything on the table, we could talk about it, but that's pretty much it. So this notion of a skinny Build Back Better at this point is all but dead, and that's something that we can't be surprised at. Rick Davis told the White House on this program to stop it, stop having this conversation, and focus on what you can get done, like a budget. But, Rick, we keep going around again. Well, we aren't. Joe Manchin's <laughs> not. Fair but enough. for whatever reason, Bernie Sanders is caught in this, uh, um, you know, we're coming up against uh, Groundhog Day, and with <laughs> Bernie Sanders, it is Groundhog Day. I mean, I think they ought to rename Build Back Better the Dreaming Act, not the Dreamers Act. Oh, man. Um, no, really. I mean, like, Joe Manchin's been uber consistent. He's the one guy who staked out a position last summer and stuck yep, to it. Yep. Everyone else has been spinning around trying to find a way to spend more money. Uh, it's pretty clear that there are a lot of independent actors who are probably calling him up saying, hey, would you take my deal? Huh. Uh, but the reality is that's what leadership's for. Where's, mm-hmm. where's Chuck Schumer stepping into the breach, filling the vacuum and saying, look, these are our priorities. And they're either going to be a skinny down, as Jeannie said, mm-hmm. build back better plan, or it's going to be the budget, or it's going to be making sure we get this China competitiveness bill done. I mean, there are a lot of things that the country needs done. And beating the door down in West Virginia of Joe Manchin is not actually a productive thing to do. But the thing is, Jeannie, if it was slimmed down, if it was the skinny BBB, uh, how does that work against inflation? And in, in many of the other effects that, that Jared Bernstein was describing, that was, a, that was a massive piece of legislation. If you bring it down to just a couple of programs, can you still say that it'll lower prices and, and make people's lives better? They can say it, and that's what the president tried to do when he gathered those CEOs and head of industry, uh, you know, a few weeks ago at the White House to make that case. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the White House and the Democrats cannot say anything without Joe Manchin. So, you know, the point is they have got to listen to what he is saying. He has been saying for some time there are certain aspects of the bill that he could see supporting. But at this point, you know, I I think he's grown a bit tired of and frustrated by the way he's been treated by the Democrats. He's raised a boatload of money as as he's been going along. And I don't think he's, you know, got any reason to turn around on this. So if they want to deal with Joe Manchin, why don't they start with the Electoral Count Act, which mm-hmm. he is is gathering a bipartisan group to, to around and start getting some wins on the table, get him back in the fold and they may be able to move forward. But at this point, it, it's a losing battle. Rick, you mentioned the uh, Innovation and Competition Act, USICA. Uh, is what the wonks call it. I, I'm understanding that Republicans in the House are going to go against this, that Kevin McCarthy 
is is telling members to say no. Is that right? Well, I mean, here's what's happened. Uh, the Democrats have shut out the Republicans in any discussions around putting the bill together. Republicans have a number of provisions that they would really like to see included that are actually uh, not offensive to most of the Democrats, but they can't get them into the bill. So the problem that this is now starting to look like is just a partisan fight on the floor of the House rather than a bipartisan effort to try and build the bill. Um, unlike what happened in the Senate, where right. Republicans and Democrats sat down together, crafted a bill they, they both could, could do. So right. the good news for Democrats is they don't need the Republicans to pass this bill. The bad news is it's another step in the wrong direction. The bills that are making an impact in America today are the bipartisan ones that are passed. And this is one that should be treated the same way. Wait, this is starting to feel familiar, Jeannie. I mean, this is now, now Kevin McCarthy will be able to hold his briefing uh, and do interviews on Sunday morning saying that Democrats shut out Republicans in negotiations. What else do you want? There's your midterm election, your message. That's right. And, and that's why, you know, Democrats have to, got to remember that they have room to maneuver in some of these areas and they should be using that. And I go back to something like the Electoral Count Act. As we look at what's coming out in the last couple of days about President Trump and the election, that's an area we can all get behind. Why don't they move forward on that and get a win and then move forward on other things as well? Rick and Jeannie, with a lot more to talk about this hour, our panel is intact on the fastest hour in politics. We're going to add Michael Hardaway to the conversation next, founder of Hardaway Wire, with the inside view on what's happening inside the House Democratic Caucus and what might see the light of day. Stay with us on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. The fact is, it's not only build back better, right? You pull the cameras out full, get the whole picture of what's going on. In Washington, D.C., the Democratic agenda on Capitol Hill is actually pretty full. Well, remember February 18th? We told you about this. That's when the government runs out of money. And no, no one's talking about a government shutdown, but something's got to be done. There could be a continuing resolution. And it looks like it's all on track to lead to an actual budget, an omnibus budget. And that could come with some other... Interesting things. We've been asking a lot of people if there are any leftovers from Build Back Better that could end up in there. It remains unclear. But there's more than that. As we just talked about with Rick and Jeannie, the Electoral Count Act appears to be moving through a bipartisan group here on the way to reform. Voting rights is another matter. And then there's the chunks, the leftovers, as we mentioned, of Build Back Better the innovation and competition bill. I mean, come on, this is a full buffet for Democrats. And that's why we want to spend some time with Michael Hardaway, because the environment is not getting easier on Capitol Hill. It's going to get harder as we head for the midterm elections. He's the founder of Hardaway Wire, briefs political uh, intelligence to CEOs, former communications director for the House Democratic Caucus and Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. Michael, it's great to have you back. What's the first order of business? Lawmakers obviously just got back into town yesterday. They need to get this budget done before we talk about the rest, or is it on to you, Sika? Well, I come bearing good news and I come bearing bad news. You always do. <laughs> the good news is there is some bipartisan effort surrounding the China competition bill. You can expect that. Uh, that's coming to the floor this week for the House. You can expect that to move and eventually become law. That is the good news. Mm -hmm. uh, the other piece of good news here is that looking a little further down the road, uh, there won't be a government shutdown. Mm -hmm. We're essentially telling our CEOs that they likely will be a CR that leads into a larger omnibus budget, but there will not be a shutdown. Okay, now, so Joe, let's. The bad news, 
You know, okay, what? God, you're bringing me the... Okay, now let's go straight through it. Rip the Band-Aid. The bad news is there is no Build Back Better, yeah. as we discussed multiple times last year. We did. There, unfortunately, is 0% chance that happens, and I'll tell you why. The Senate and the House are two vastly different places. Think of this like the financial services industry. The House is like the investment bankers. The Senate is like the private equity guys, right? <laughs> and so whatever the Senate comes up with, the House will not be satisfied. They'll want significantly more involved. Sure if the House comes up case. with something, the Senate will consider it to be entirely too much. Yeah. And so the, for that particular reason, you can't square that circle, and there will be no build back better. And they're really, for the most part, for the balance of the year, you won't see much action. So it was the end of last year. I'm pretty sure December, Michael Hardaway on this broadcast said, if Build Back Better does not pass this month, it will not pass this year. And it's not going to pass this month. So here we are. Fast forward, uh, what is it, two months here, Michael, and people keep talking about chunks. The White House doesn't like us to talk about legislation as a bunch of chunks. I guess it generates an image. But you know what I'm saying. You slice this thing up, find a couple of winners, attach it to another piece of legislation, try to get it passed and call it a win. Does that happen? If it were possible for something to pass the Senate and become law, then it could happen. But that's not the way things work. I think there's bipartisan consensus around things like negotiating drug prices, for instance. 83% of Americans support that. So I think there are facets that have bipartisan support, but none of these things will happen, and I'll tell you why. In the Senate, you'll find consensus around that, but what you'll find in the House is that nothing will pass that doesn't include significant environmental uh, sort of money and policies that address climate change and a number of other items, and of course, that would never pass the Senate. Mm -hmm. And so what you have is a House of Representatives that wants to address climate change, if that is not included in whatever legislation comes together, it will not pass the House. And of course, the Senate would never pass something that uh, specifically addresses climate change at this particular mm -hmm. moment. Talk to me about the leadership. Uh, that was obviously your world, Michael, and, and you're flying pretty close to the sun on this one because you were working for Hakeem Jeffries, and there's a big conversation going on right now among Democrats to prepare for the post-Pelosi era, as the Washington Post put it. Uh, that could be in a minority role as opposed to holding the gavel next year, but is Hakeem Jeffries going to be the next leader in the House if, for Democrats? It looks like it. The reality is that you know Hakeem is not only the party's best messenger. But in terms of getting things done, there are very few members of Congress that can match his record. He's worked in a bipartisan way to pass a number uh, of bills from criminal justice reform to trade secrets to a number of sort of trademark-related pieces of, leg of legislation. And I think for that particular reason, he's got to be your quarterback that takes the party into sort of this next era. Yeah, heck of but a time to take over. Guy. Will he be holding the gavel or will he be minority leader uh, working the opposition against a, say, Speaker McCarthy? Uh, he'll be the latter, which is um, a much more fun job. It's an easier job, that's for sure. Democrats will get crushed in the midterms. They'll get absolutely crushed. Hmm. And Hakeem will come in and he'll essentially be sort of the bomb thrower that from a messaging perspective really drives the party's message while also trying to find ways to work with McCarthy uh, and Republican leadership where he can. 
I'll tell you what, Stenny Hoyer, Adam Schiff, I wonder if they're listening because there are a couple of other names on the list and we'd love to stay in touch with you on this one. Michael Hardaway, it's going to take some time to figure this out. Michael, thanks for being back on Sound On. We're going to go back to the panel next. We haven't even talked about Russia, Ukraine yet, and there has been news today. We'll bring you in the room for this conversation with Rick and Jeannie, our panel, on the Tuesday edition of Sound On. Market check coming. We've got a lot of earnings to pick through with Charlie Pellet. We'll check traffic for you to get you home as well. That's why you're here, the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So we heard back from the Russians. They are still not happy. The written response to our letter from last week has been delivered. Vladimir Putin saying today in a news conference that the U.S. and NATO ignored Moscow's security demands, which you might remember include binding agreements, as they proposed, to keep NATO from expanding and to not put defensive weapons near the Russian border. Non-starters for the administration. I talked about it earlier today, this whole standoff on balance of power with Senator Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia. He chairs the Senate Intelligence Committee. I think we're going to keep ratcheting up that pressure. Again, I think the next few weeks are going to be absolutely critical. And I think Putin is starting to realize the downside on this mm-hmm. uh, in terms of not only economic sanctions, but potentially Russia being the oligarchs that support Russia being hurt in the pocketbooks at a level that has been unprecedented, uh, I hope is giving him pause. Let's reassemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Rick, what do you make of that thought that the next several weeks, the next two to three weeks, and this has to do with a lot of things from the Olympics to the weather, will be the most critical and possibly the most dangerous in this standoff. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Anything that leads up to either a provocation that requires Vladimir Putin to, you know, demonstrate his manhood and roll those tanks, or that creates an opening uh, to where he can actually uh, 
fall back and take his hand off the crisis button. Mm. Um, I, I, I think this really is. I think Mark Warner has it exactly right. This is this is the moment in time with the Olympics going on for everybody to get cooler heads. Wait, Jeannie, um, what makes us believe that Vladimir Putin would pull back? What has to happen for him to see the exit lane? Well, listening to his statement today, the first time we've heard from him since December, at least in my reading, there was no indication that he was willing, able, or ready to back down at this point. You know, his statement was very clear. He wants to go back to 1997. That involves multiple countries withdrawing from the bloc. That's, you know, not, not going to happen. If that is what he is sticking to, and, and he sounded very sure today that is what he's sticking to, yeah. um, you know, it sounded to me like, um, you know, we are not in a position of diplomacy at this point, although he did indicate he'd like the communication to continue. And, you know, I, I know Senator Warner is saying the next two to three weeks are critical. They certainly are. But I am not even convinced that after that, this will be something that subsides. This has been Putin's stated goal since before he took office, and I don't see it subsiding at any point in the future. It may ebb and flow depending on weather and other events, but yeah. he's going to come right back to it. We've seen that since 2014. Yeah, Jeannie's right, Rick. Vladimir Putin said, I hope that dialogue will continue. Is that just happy talk? You know, I don't think it's happy talk. I, I, he's a master of manipulation, right? So he's got to always have an off ramp. He's mm. always got to have some way of saying it was never his fault that the Americans caved or something like that. I would say we're entering a really important period, as Mark Warner says, but like for, for a particularly different reason that nobody's been talking about, and that is Vladimir Putin's going to the Olympics and going to hang out with his other communist buddy, Xi, huh. and and she's going to have a big influence on what he does. And all of a sudden, whether or not Huawei can get business in Ukraine is going to be an important huh. thing for the for the Chinese government. Do they want more instability or do they want less? And I think that the I'd love to hear the first interview with Xi, which of course he won't give, uh, asking him what his advice to Vladimir Putin's going to be. It's interesting uh, where China is on all of this genius statement from China's foreign minister Wang Yi saying Russia's legitimate security concerns should be taken seriously and should be addressed. What does that mean when China's looking the other way or almost tacitly approving this behavior on the international stage? That means they would very much like to substitute in Taiwan for the Ukraine and say their legitimate security concerns. So this is the playbook. This is the playbook. And I think we see it with Xi. I think we see it as we look to North Korea. I think we see it as we look to Putin. I mean, this is what the president has been warning about, and he's not alone, and others have, about this fight in the 21st century between autocracy and democracy. It is heating up, and it is not going to subside. These, these uh, you know, as Rick called them, what did you call them, Rick? Communist buddies, however you want to describe them. They certainly are working together in concert, and I don't think that's going to change even after the Olympics. They're going to keep at it. Will he be emboldened after his uh, soiree with she, Rick? Oh, I think he wakes up every morning emboldened. Okay. I think he thinks that he's running circles around <laughs> yeah. uh, the West. And, uh, and, and look, maybe this is a time uh, to focus the attention of the world on this, this combination of China and Russia. I mean, George Bush started his administration talking about the axis of evil. Right. I can't imagine a better time right now to, to basically to wake up the world while they're all in China and say, look at, look at the future. If that's what you want, mm -hmm. there are going to be decisions that will be needed and be made. And nobody's talking about troops anymore, right? I mean, we, we had the 85 
100 troops that could be deployed in Eastern Europe. I suppose that could happen, according to the president, pretty much any time. Maybe that's just posturing. But we're done talking about hot wars here, right? This this conversation, genies, evolved a lot the last couple of weeks. Take me in uh, and, and give me the reality check if I'm wrong. No, I, I think you're right about that, although I think it's left on the table, and it depends an awful lot on how events unfold and, and, you know, what Putin does. But I do think it's something the president put out there. He hasn't quite removed it. It may not be in the offing in the near future. But, you know, as we think about it, so much of President Biden's both foreign and domestic policy agenda is wrapped up at this. You know, you were just talking to uh, to Michael about the, the competition bill. That is all designed for us to be able to compete with China on semiconductors and everything else. So, you know, I think this defines the president's administration in ways we, you know, historians are going to be talking about both domestically and foreign policy wise. Wait, I don't know where the next uh, turn is here for this White House, uh, Rick, outside of the normal, you know, press secretary briefings and so forth. But is it not time uh, to do something to be noticed for Joe Biden, and, and or are we just waiting for our European allies to get on board here and start talking more about sanctions? There's nothing we can do to shake Vladimir Putin right now. Yeah, I mean, look, this White House has done everything they could to tamp down sanctions in their own Congress. So it's not likely that that's going to echo across uh, Europe. I mean, really, the holdout is is the Germans on sanctions. And, and I think right now, uh, they've probably smartly decided the more we push, the more likely it is an announcement that they're not going to go for a sanction against Nord Stream 2. And then that undercuts our our rhetoric. So um, I think you can believe what Joe Biden tells you. He's going to hit the road and talk about infrastructure and, wow. you know, until he's got something to say about this. Uh, uh, but I still believe he should address the country and the world and, and put the, 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 the real situation in perspective from, from uh, a perspective of freedom and liberty and not one of politics. Are we done with meetings, Jeannie? Are we going to hear about Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin doing a video call at some point in the next couple of weeks? You know, I think they should keep talking. I don't think we know of any plans at this point. Putin said, you know, he hopes they keep talking. Joe Biden has long said he will meet with and talk with people, even if he doesn't agree with them. But I'm not convinced that that will make much headway, right? I mean, at this point, it seems that they are dug in. I mean, Putin was very clear today that he is not backing down from these demands, and certainly the United States and NATO are not. And we shouldn't forget about President Biden's meeting with the Qatari Amir yesterday. That is critical component of this entire discussion as it pertains to energy oil Germany and trying to shore up the energy resources that are needed in a Europe, which is, you know, increased cost 300 percent for energy this last year alone. Three words, liquefied natural gas. Prime Minister Boris Johnson's going to Ukraine, Rick. Uh, He's going to be sitting down with Zelensky. Uh, According to Downing Street, do we need constant travel like that more? Codells from Washington, more leaders like this to keep Ukraine on the mainstream level, keep the eyes and cameras on Ukraine. Absolutely. I think that uh, this this is the time, as uh, Mark Warner said, to uh, really push the advantage that the uh, the world has to bring eyeballs into Ukraine. These are free people. Uh, Russia wants to put them under their 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 torch. So uh, and, and, and Boris Johnson, with all his faults, he's been completely consistent and very out front on this. He's been the leader of the Western Caucus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in, in talking about, you know, why we need to defend Ukraine. So uh, more power to him. But I, I just think we need to see this administration take the same tact. They have good parties in Ukraine. Just don't answer that. Rick and Jeannie, our panel, 
on Sound On. Thanks to you both, GD Shanzano and Rick Davis. Don't mind me. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. Sound On and David Weston will be back on Balance of Power. February is Black History Month, and every day this month we're celebrating significant moments in U.S. black history. We'll bring you your installment now for February 1. That's today. Here's Bloomberg's Renita Young. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.